look at some of that example today. And uh, I want to pull out really some very, uh, very specific examples that speak to this point that take place after the burial of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus dies on the cross. He's buried in the tomb for three days. And there's this resurrection that takes place. And there was this sort of 40 days, 40-ish days um, of his living on the earth uh, prior to his ascension um, and uh, then eventually the day of Pentecost happening and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. So there's sort of this 40, 50-day period that takes place. And I want to look at a couple of very specific instances in that specific period of time that will help illustrate the point that I am uh, speaking of today. The first one actually comes from Luke 24. And Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, all of these writers had a little different viewpoint of the resurrection story and kind of focused on different aspects of the resurrection story and tell us different parts. So Luke's version of the resurrection uh, reads like this. Now on the first day, Luke 24 verse 1 says, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, and he tells us who they are, they, a certain other woman with them, came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away, a stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, then, as they were afraid and bowed their face to the earth, they said to them, now this is a powerful statement, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you that uh, spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified the third day, rising again. That phrase there, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you seeking that he's not here, he is risen? That's such a powerful statement. It resonates beyond that moment uh, where, those, where, where it was just spoken to that group that was there that day. That phrase, those words even, I feel like, reach into our world today. Because there are people that are looking for life there are people that are looking for something that's alive, something that will bring life and joy and peace. The problem is you're looking for the right thing in the wrong place. You're looking for the living thing, but you're looking for it among dead things. Because you see, there's only truly one thing. I know this is simple for a lot of us, but there's some of us that it might be simple, but we still haven't put two and two together yet to realize that this really is the answer you're looking for. The answer is not trying to find the magic fountain of life that makes all of your troubles go away. The answer today is not trying to find the perfect mate or the perfect job or the perfect career or the perfect vacation or the perfect home. Because let's be honest, there is no such thing. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect wife. There's no perfect mother. There's no perfect father. I know for a lot of you today, Father's Day is not an easy day. Father's Day is not a day of celebration. For you today, Father's Day may be a day of pain because Father's Day today represents what you had or you didn't have in a father. 
Father's Day represents pain and memories of either broken relationships, abuse, hurt, abandonment. Today may not be a day of celebration. And so there's been times because of what we've been through, we search for and look for things to fill these empty places in our heart. To fill these gaps that we feel like if we could get this place solved, if we could get this 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 part of our life uh, 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 in check, if we can get this part of our life fixed, or or a lot of times when we've dealt with abandonment and abuse, we we find ourselves willing to to take any kind of love, any kind of affection. And what's amazing is people that have dealt with abuse and dealt with rejection, instead of kind of being closed off, which some do, some actually open themselves up because. They want anybody to love them, anybody reject them. And then what's amazing is then they open themselves to a continued cycle of abuse and hurt and misuse and abuse and hurt. And we're looking, we're all looking for something today. It doesn't matter who you are. I know some of you think you're so sophisticated and some of you are just so, uh, you've got it together and you've got all your life planned out and all your things. And even some of us who think we're so spiritual, we've got all our, all our spiritual ducks lined up in a row. We've got all these powerful things. We've got all this stuff. We, we've got all these things we figured out. But let's, let's just, let's just pull all that to side. Let's just strip it down. We're all looking for something today. Every one of us. Every single one of us is looking for something today. Every one of us. I don't care who you are. It may be you're looking for a deeper understanding of who God is. You might be looking for a deeper relationship with him. You might be looking for a, 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 a deeper understanding of who you are in Christ. You might be looking at all these things. You might be looking at numerous things. It, it doesn't have to just be in one category uh, today. You say, well, I'm, I'm not really looking for anything. I've already found God. Yeah, you might have found God, but let's be honest, just because you find him doesn't mean you don't stop looking for things. We still keep looking. We still keep searching. If you have, if you stop looking and searching, then ultimately uh, you need to check your spiritual pulse because if you have, if there's not something in you, if there's not a, a desire down in you that keeps Desiring to move farther and look and search and say, God, show me who you are in a greater way. Let me find you in a way I've never seen you before. If you're satisfied, I don't know why I'm saying this, but someone needs to hear what I'm saying today. If you're satisfied with where you are, I pray in Jesus' name today that something would be birthed in you. A new level of passion, a new level of fire, a new level of hunger would be birthed in you today. That you would say, okay, God, I'm thankful for where I'm at. But I want more of you. What I have is great, but I need more of you. I want to know more of you. I want to see you. So we're searching. The question today and in, in, in what I want to challenge you with is not to change what you're searching for. It's to try to change where you're looking for it at. Because today you might be trying to search for acceptance. You might be trying to search for companionship. You might be trying to search for validation. You might be uh, searching for uh, 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 um, 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 love. You might be searching for affection. You might be searching for all of these things. And I'm not here today to say, well, you need, you need to stop searching for that. You need to search for God. You need to stop searching for that. You need to search. I'm not saying any of that. Because a lot of the things speak to the core of our heart. They speak to the core of our being. So the, the point 
in what I feel like God is trying to get us to see today is not to change what we're looking for, it's to change where we're looking for it at. The right thing in the wrong place. We're scanning the, 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 the aisle of Home Depot. We're in the hammer and, and, and screwdriver section looking for meat. We're looking for the right thing. We're just looking for it the wrong place. There's things that are out there that can help you. There's things that are out there that can, that can benefit your life. But there comes a point in time that you've got, to find, you've got to search for that thing in the right place. And they, uh, those two angels said to uh, the women there that day, it says, why do you seek for the living among the dead? For whatever reason that they came, and we'll actually find a little later in another account of John, I don't know if they were seeking for the living. They were seeking for Jesus. I don't know. I think they were seeking for a for a lesser version of Jesus because the Bible says that when they um, came, they came bringing spices. They came bringing spices, which they had prepared. They weren't bringing spices like we think of spices. So, hey, we're going to cook a meal for Jesus. So we're going to bring some spices. That's not what they were meaning. They were bringing spices that you would bring to prepare or to take care of a dead body that was in decomposition. And so they were coming, preparing to find and looking for a dead Jesus. So I don't even think at the time they were looking for the living Jesus. But when they showed up and they found an empty tomb, instead of their reaction being, yes, what he said was true, what he promised was true, they were perplexed. They didn't know what was going on. And until there was revelation that said, you're looking for the living among the dead. They weren't looking for the living because let's be honest, if they had showed up with their spices and the tomb was empty and looked in, Jesus is not here, Jesus is not here, they would have gone, yes, he's risen. Let's go back and tell everybody. That didn't happen. In fact, we'll find out in just a minute, that really didn't happen with Mary. Didn't happen. So in some ways, even with, with this situation, God had to adjust what they were looking for. But even when they adjusted what they were looking for, they were still looking for it in the wrong place. They were looking for the dead Jesus. So the first thing he had to do is get him to look for the living Jesus. But even once they changed the fact they went from the dead Jesus to the living Jesus, they were still in the wrong place. So sometimes God has to do two things to us. He has to change our perspective and our position. And a lot of times, he first works on our perspective before he can work on our position. And the first thing he had to do was say, you got to get your perspective right. You're not seeing things and looking for the right things, so let's get that straight. But once you get that straight, then you're going to realize eh, you're in the wrong spot. You see, they didn't even realize they were in the wrong place. Why? Because they didn't even, they were searching for something that that's where they would find. You see, the problem sometimes is I'm not here to challenge the fact you're looking for love, looking for acceptance, looking for healing, whatever it is, looking for hope, whatever that is. But sometimes what you're looking for is not what you need. They didn't need a dead Jesus. They needed a Jesus that was alive, that was resurrected in fullness and in power. But they came looking for a dead Jesus. You see, if they would have found the dead Jesus... 
prepared that body, they would have went home in sorrow and in mourning because he's dead. We saw the body. We were there. He's still in that tomb. He's gone. He's no longer there with us. But the first revelation they had to get was what are we really truly supposed to be searching for? What are we truly supposed to be looking for? That can only be revealed through the power and the revelation of God Almighty. Is You've got to first ask God, God, if what I'm seeking for is not what I need, then show me first and foremost what I need to be seeking for. You might be seeking for companionship, but you're speaking for companionship with a friend, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, when God wants you to seek companionship with Him, a relationship with Him. So the, there's a difference between perspective and position. First, there had to be a change in perspective. Then there became a change in position. And we watch this whole thing sort of play out. We see the fact that the first thing they had to correct was they were looking for the right, the wrong thing in the wrong place. But at the time when they showed up, they were looking for the wrong thing in the right place for that thing. But then God had to change their perspective and then they realized where they were wasn't going to work. You see, I could sit here today and tell you where you're at. You need to change where you're at. You need to change the position of your life. You need to do this differently, do that differently. But if you're searching for the dead Jesus, you're not even going to hear what I'm saying. You're going to argue with me. Dead people are in tombs. I know what you're saying to me today, but dead people are in tombs. And you're right. So instead of arguing about the tomb, I want you to see, are you even looking for the right thing? Are you even searching? We're searching, but what are you searching for? I can't tell you what to search for because I don't know what you need. But he does. He does. God knows. The Bible says he knows our frame. He knows our makeup. He knows exactly what, what makes us tick, if you want to use that analogy. Looking for the wrong thing in the right place or looking for the right thing in the wrong place. You can look for the wrong thing in the right in the in the in the the wrong thing in the right place for that wrong thing, or you can look for the right thing and find your extra in the wrong place. Let's see a little further here. This continue to play out. John chapter twenty. Now this is John's version. John gives us a further insight into the resurrection story, um, and he tells us this. Uh, from the perspective of Mary. And uh, he says this, John chapter 20, verse number 11, but Mary stood, out the stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken... Away, my, they have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. As she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now watch this, this is crucial. Woman, he said, why are you crying? And who is it you're looking for? 
thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. I want that, that, that I want I want we're in a minute. I want you to hear that resonating in your own life. But let's step back for a moment. It's amazing how many times God has done this in my own life, and I see it play out through scripture. God is so gentle and so kind. The image we have sometimes of God is sort of this harsh, powerful being that's sitting up there, sort of with the proverbial gavel of judgment ready to come down and strike the table and to uh, send us all to the burning pit of hell for our indiscretions and our sin and our shortcomings. That's not the image of, that's not the true image of Jesus Christ. Yes, is God a God of judgment? Absolutely. Is, Is God a God that draws the line and says, if you're on this side of the line, um, you're lost. If you're on this side of the line, you're saved. Yes. Is he a God that says you're either for me or against me? Absolutely. But he's a God of love. He's a God of tenderness. And it's amazing how many times in situations where people were dealing with their own questions and dealing with their own searching and their own need and looking around that God confronts them not with a hammer banging down the front door not with a battering ram ready to break through the door of their heart but simply a gentle knock and usually that gentle knock comes in form of a question let's go back and look at a couple examples real quick before we get into the Mary dialogue with Jesus Adam and Eve We're told by God, look, you can have everything in the garden. Do whatever you want with it. Have it all. You can eat from anything you want. However, there's one tree. It's in the middle of the garden. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. We know the story. Eve gets in conversations with the serpent. Finally eats of it. Gives it to Adam. Sin enters into the world. God shows up, the Bible says. God shows up to the garden And Adam and Eve aren't there. They're hiding. And God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? I heard one um, religious uh, slanderer, very popular on TV. Um, He's a comedian. He's a political pundit. And he is a staunch anti-Christian in his viewpoint. And he made such a ignorant statement one day i listened to something he was speaking on and he made some such an ignorant uh statement about that particular encounter that god had with adam he said if god's so powerful and so amazing why couldn't he find adam hiding over in the bushes god can't be that senile and blind he can't see adam hiding i mean What kind of God can do that? You know, that just shows the fact that just because you know what the Bible says doesn't mean you know what the Bible says. (laughs) Just because you know how to read words on a book doesn't mean you know what those words truly mean. Because that's not the whole... God knew exactly where Adam was. 
Adam, where are you? It wasn't like they were playing the proverbial game of hide and seek. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready or not, here I come. Where are you hiding today, Adam? Come on, that wasn't, God wasn't doing that. God knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly where he was. The question God wanted to know wasn't, did God know where Adam was? God wanted to know, did Adam know where he was? God knows exactly where you are today. The question today isn't where you work. Does God know where I'm at? The question is, do you know where you are? I don't know who I'm telling that today. It's not even in my notes, but can you just give me a moment? I can't get past that point today. The question today we often ask is, does God even know where I'm at? Does God not see my life? Does God not see what I'm going through? Does God not see the pain and the hurt and all of the stuff? Absolutely he does. The question is, do you know where you're at? Adam, where are you? It wasn't the fact that God needed Adam to acknowledge it so he could go, oh, there you are, Adam. Come here, buddy. It was the fact that God could not help Adam until Adam first acknowledged he needed help. God cannot help you today, my friend, until you first acknowledge your need for help. God cannot save you today until you first acknowledge your need for a Savior. God cannot lift you up today until you first acknowledge that you need a lifter. God cannot heal you today until you first acknowledge you need a healer. God can't deliver you today until you first acknowledge you need a deliverer. I can talk all day today about how God can heal, how God can deliver, how God can save, how God can transform, how God can do all of these things. None of that matters if you don't acknowledge that's where I'm at and that's what I need. Until you match up the right thing with the right place, it doesn't matter. I can tell you about all the attributes of God, all the powerful nature of God, what He can do. But until you answer the question, Adam, where are you? Here I am. Here I am. And the Bible says that God had this conversation with Adam. Adam had taken fig leaves and covered himself up, covered Eve up with these fig leaves. And God asked him about that. God already knew the answer. God already knew what was going on. God knew what was happening in the whole situation. God knew the fact that Adam was, 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 was trying to cover up his own shame through his own methods. God knew all that. God says to Adam, what, what are you doing there, Adam? What, 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 what are you wearing? Well, he says, well, we're, Lord, we're naked. And then God asked him the question. God didn't say, how dare you say you're naked? I made you that way. You're not naked. I made... God didn't do that. What did God ask Adam? God, Adam said, we're naked. And God says to Adam, who told you you're naked? You see, it was that question that brought about revelation. Because you see, today, let me ask you this. In the context of what God asked you, Adam. Some of you today are dealing with shame. Some of you are dealing with insecurities. Some of you are dealing with fears and 
all kinds of negative things in your life, my question to you is today, who told you these things? Who's saying these things? Let's just take a moment. I don't know why I'm on this today, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm quickly losing my notes here today. That's okay, because God's working. But let me ask you this today. Who's telling you these things? That voice that's constantly accusing you in your head. That voice that always seems to sneak up in the moment of victory and pull it away from you and spin you back into a cycle of defeat. That voice that always seems to be right there lurking in the darkness. The moment you take a step forward, it pops out and go, yeah, but remember where you were. Remember we all know where you came from. We all know what you've done. We all know the type person you are. You know the voice. Come on, all of us know that voice. We know it. Some more than others, but don't sit there in your pious uh, religiosity as if you've never had those moments. All of us know that voice. All of us know that voice of accusation, that voice of insecurity, that voice of questioning. We know what that voice is. The question is, today, as God asked Adam, who told you these things? Some of you right now are dealing with the fact you feel inferior, you feel unloved, you feel like you'll never get it right, you feel like you'll never be able to get be good enough, you feel like I'm always going to be this way, I'm always going to be that way, I'm always, 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 always. My question to you today is who's telling you that? Who's telling you that? Well, I, I, I had a parent that said that to me. I had a friend that a teacher, uh, um, all these, all these voices that might sound like somebody, but the source of them, the source of them, who's saying those things? Who's saying those things? Well, let's just eliminate one, one we don't know. We know God's not saying those things. Do you think God's up there going, yeah, you are just a, you're no good. You're never going to get it right. Uh, you're, you're never going to be able to be good enough. You're never going to be able to be able to, to, to move past that. You're always going to be like this. You might as well just quit. Is that, you really think God's saying that today? Do you really think God's up there with a, with a, with a voice of condemning going, well, you know, you, you just can never get it right. You're such a disappointment. I don't, there's no wonders. No one, there's no wonder. You can't be loved. Look at the type of person you are. I mean, your parents didn't love you. Your your spouse didn't love you. Your your kids don't love you. Your friends don't love you. Your family doesn't love you. You're just unlovable. Is that really God? Come on. Is that I don't know who I'm telling that today, but somebody needs to hear me because you are a prisoner to the wrong thing. Who's telling you these things? Is it God? No. So if it's not God, God is the only one who speaks truth. The Bible says he's truth and in him there is no lie. The voice of accusation, the voice of condemnation, the voice of insecurity, they're not based in truth. They're not based in truth. They're not based in the reality of God. And who God is. So he says to Adam, who told you you're naked? He already knew who told him. But he needed to know, Adam, have you figured out where this voice is coming from, Adam? Because it's not coming from me. I'm still God. I'm still a God of, of, 
of love and mercy and forgiveness. But yet, instead of coming to me, you let that voice pull you away from me. And we know the story God forgave and covered. But there's always asking questions. Moses stood at the burning bush. This story, right, where Moses has this amazing encounter with God, stands at the burning bush. This voice comes out of this bush, right, in the middle of the desert, bush on fire, not being consumed. The voice comes out of the bush. Moses, they have this conversation, and uh, this voice, which we know as God, says to Moses, um, I've chosen you to go back and to... Um, Free my people. And then Moses, you know, the voice of insecurities, the voices of uh, the voices of, of doubt, the voices of unbelief, the voices of inadequacy start to start to yell and creep up. And so all of these voices are starting to overpower the voice from the bush. And so what does God ask Moses? He says, What's in your hand? What's in your hand? He asked Moses, What's in your hand? Because what he was trying to get Moses to realize is everything that Moses needed, he already had. So many times we feel like we don't have what's needed to do what God's calling us to do. God, if I could just be a, a better speaker, if I could just be a better singer, if I could be a better reader, a better, if I could know more scripture, if I could know this, I could know that, and I could know do how to do this, and I could be like so-and-so, if I could sing like so-and-so, if I could talk like so-and-so, and I could be like that, then I really, God, could do this. So help me be like that. And God says to Moses, what's in your hand? And Moses said, it's just a staff. And God says, yes, but to you, it's a staff. But you're not getting the revelation, Moses. It's not just a staff. It's everything you need. And he said to Moses, throw down that staff. Staff throws down, turns into a snake. We know the story. But God needed to ask Moses the question to bring a revelation to him. It's not the fact that no Moses needed more. He already had what he needed, but he needed the revelation of what he already had. And can I ask some of you today, what's in your hand? Stop trying to look at what you don't have and start looking at what you do have. Start Stop asking God for more of something because you feel inadequate that you can't do it and realize... God has given you already everything you need to fulfill the task he's called you to do. And the moment he asks you to do something that you can't do, he will give you the grace and the tools to accomplish it. God's not going to ask you to fly without giving you wings. He's not going to ask you to soar without giving you the grace to do so. God's not going to do that. He's not going to do it. He doesn't do that. Some of you right now, God's saying fly, and you're going, yeah, but uh, uh, can I get some bigger wings? Can I, uh, uh, my, uh, uh, can I get the wings like an eagle? God, God's like, no, 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 no. Just use what you've got. You may flap like a chicken, but when you flap like a chicken and you, met, and you combine that with the grace of God, you will soar like the eagles. What's in your hand? God asked Ezekiel. Standing there that day looking in the vision of the valley of dry bones, God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can these bones live? Can you see beyond the impossible and can you see the possible? Ezekiel, you see dry bones, but can you, can you, can you, can you see beyond the impossible and see the possible today? Maybe God's asking you today, can your dreams live again? Can your life 
be put back together again? Are you just going to see bones? Are you going to see what God's trying to show you? So God does this. And so we find in this encounter with Mary that she sees these angels. Now, John doesn't give us the same description as Luke does, but the story goes she sees these angels and she turns around and she's face to face with Jesus. There's a lot of things we can speculate about this encounter. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why she doesn't recognize him. A lot of people have uh, taken a guess or try to surmise why Mary could not recognize Jesus. Um, potentially it was because he was that marred. The Bible says in um, uh, scripture that his visage, his visage, his face, his vicious, his appearance was marred more than any other man. Um, that, that there is beauty, there's beauty, we, we will see beauty in his ugliness, but the fact is that his face was beaten, his beard was plucked, um, he was completely just mutilated in his body. Um, there is uh, a high likelihood that he was so disfigured that Mary didn't recognize him. I don't know that to be the case. Um, there is some potential evidence in scripture that that was what happened. But there's other instances after the resurrection that we hear no description or even no reference to his disfigured face or his disfigured body. The only reference we have really about his, his physical appearance comes later when um, Thomas is, he asked Thomas to put his his hand and, and the nail scars and touch the side. Uh, these are the only real descriptions we have of his physical appearance. So whether Mary did not recognize him uh, because of physical appearance, we don't know. You could argue that, no doubt, for those of you that like to argue s scripture. Um, you can make that argument. I, I'm Frankly, I think there's a part of me that can believe that. But I actually want you to see something different. Was it because she didn't recognize Jesus? Or was it because she wasn't looking for the right Jesus? Was it the fact that he was so marred that she didn't even know it was him? Or was it the fact she came to the tomb looking for a dead Jesus that she couldn't even recognize the fact that there was a Jesus standing in front of her that was alive. She couldn't believe. She couldn't even bring herself. Nobody had come back from the dead like this. Nobody had been like this. Even after seeing Lazarus raised from the dead. Even after watching Jesus stop a funeral procession and say, get up, rise up. Well, we saw Jesus did that, but still there was such a disconnect that possibly the problem was she was looking for a different version of Jesus. She was looking for the earthly Jesus, the, the broken Jesus, the dead Jesus, that she was looking for the wrong type of Jesus. She wasn't looking for the resurrected Jesus, the powerful, the almighty, the God of heaven and earth, robed in flesh. She wasn't looking for that type of Jesus. She was still looking for a dead Jesus. And when the standing risen uh, God robed in flesh stood in front of her. She didn't even recognize 
who's so loving and so gentle and so kindly. Jesus did not rebuke her and say, Woman, are you kidding me? How do you not recognize me? I mean, the amazing part about it is what's even crazier to me, she didn't even really recognize his voice at first. So whether his face was marred, maybe, but I don't see any kind of evidence that would say his voice had changed. So let's just say that his voice was the same. She was so fixated on trying to find one thing, she couldn't even hear or see the right thing. We get so fixated sometimes on one aspect of our life that we become blind to the other things. The disciples were so fixated on their own problems of a sinking boat and a raging storm that when Jesus came walking on water, presumably presumably wearing the same clothes he was wearing when they last saw him, they couldn't even recognize who he was. They thought he was a ghost because they were so fixed on what they were doing and where they were, they couldn't even recognize what was going on around them. If you allow yourself today, my friend, if you get caught up in all of the world's problems right now with the virus going on, with the, with, with all of the, the, the racial tension and all the, the stuff that's happening in our world around us and all the fear and all the frustration and all the anger and all the panic and all the stuff that's boiling up, if you get your eyes on that and that becomes your focus, you will miss what God is trying to do in your life. Am I saying we should ignore it? No. Am I saying we shouldn't stand up for what's right, for what's just? No. I'm not saying that. We need to stand up for what's right. We need to stand up for justice and peace. We need to stand up for those things. Absolutely. But we cannot become so fixated on thinking we can fix the world around us that we mix, miss the God, the creator, the one who created all of this. She was so fixated on her own situation, she couldn't even recognize it. He said to her, why are you crying? <laughs> she said, why are you crying? And he asked her this question, who are you looking for? Obviously, he knew who she was looking for. He was, she was looking for him. Why didn't he say, woman, why are you crying? It's me. Chill out. I'm right here. High five it. Coronavirus elbow bump. Whatever we got to do. I'm right here. I'll wipe away your tears. Come on. He said, who are you looking for? I think he was trying to get Mary to change her perspective about the kind of Jesus she was looking for. She was looking for a dead Jesus, and he's trying to say, who are you looking for? You're looking for the dead Jesus that you're missing the power of the resurrected Jesus. And she says to him, she thinks he's a gardener, and she says to him, sir, if you've taken him away, please, please let him know where you have taken him, and I'll go get him. And finally, the ball drops. Boom! And he says to her, Mary! Mary! I don't know if he yelled it. I don't know how he said it. But he says to her, Mary! And the moment he says her name, boom! The Bible says she turned to him and cried, Rabbi, I love that 
description we get in John. She turned to him and cried. Do you know what that meant? If she turned to him and cried, that she had turned away from him. She already had assumed, this isn't my answer, and I'm not going to get what I need from this answer. Woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Sir, if, uh, if you've taken him, at least tell me where you've taken him and I'll know. And he says, Mary. And she goes, whoa. Whoa. Rabbi. Rabbi. How many of you, you've turned away and got your eyes on something else? looking for what you think you need or what you want, that you've turned away from the real answer. How many times have we prayed and asked God, but because it didn't happen immediately, we turn away from prayer, get our eyes on something else. She turned away because the Bible says he said, Mary, she turned back. Do you know what that proves by, by him using her name? Mary, it proves one thing more than any, that God desires to have a personal connection with every single one of us. The fact he called her by, that, by her name that day proves that he desires to have a personal connection with you and I, one-on-one, -on -one, you and him. If you believe today that God died for the whole world, Biblically, you could say that. But can I say today, if you believe that God died for the whole world, you're selling God short. Instead of saying, I believe God died for the whole world, it needs to change to say, I believe God died for me. He died for me. He didn't die for a faceless humanity. He died for me. He died for for me. If I was the only one to ever live, I know some of you won't believe this. Some of you, it sounds way too beyond reality, but can I tell you what I know from my heart and my faith and my relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm fully convinced that if I was the only one ever to live, that he still would have gone to the cross for me and paid the same penalty for me, not because I'm special in the world, because I'm special to Him. It's not because somehow you're going to rise to the great ranks of the world. It's because to God you matter to Him. Mary! It was that personal moment, that personal encounter, that encounter that got out of the realms of religion, that realm that got out of the realms of, oh, this disconnect between little old us and big old God, where God finally says, I'm going to bridge the gap between eternity and the temporal. I'm going to bridge the gap between deity and humanity. I'm going to bridge the gap with one word, Mary. Mary. Can I tell you today, if you would listen with the ears of your heart, you will hear God calling your name. Not calling the name of a faceless math. Not calling the name of the world today. You'll hear God calling 
your name today because God wants you to change what you're looking for. She went looking for a dead Jesus, but she discovered the fact she found a living Jesus. They went that day looking for a dead Jesus in the right place, but realized they were looking for the, they finally found the right thing, but realized they had to find it in the wrong, they were looking for it in the wrong place. Some of you today, can I tell you, you need to get back to that personal encounter with God where He just looks at you and says, Mary, Mary. What's amazing with this is something happens and I finish with this thought. The Bible says she clings to him. The Bible acts literally, the words are, she clings to him. She grabs a hold of him. She clings to him. And he says, don't touch me. Let go of me. Because I haven't yet ascended into my father. Uh, we've often looked at that and go, well, she couldn't touch him because of the holiness and all this stuff. She couldn't touch him, yada, yada. But that's kind of interesting because later on, he actually invites others to touch him. So was it the fact he didn't want her to touch? No. Actually, I've thought that, preached about that, taught about that. But now the Lord showed me a different perspective. I don't believe he was trying to say, get off me, woman. Don't touch me. I'm holy. I'm resurrected. No, because the word used in that to touch was literally cling on to. Cling on to. It wasn't that she was touching. It was the fact she was clinging. And he said, you got to let go of me on the way you used to know me. Because he said, let go because I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got I've to go to my father. I've got to ascend to my father. I've got to be, I'm going to my father. I, I'm not going to be here. What was Jesus really trying to say to her that day? It wasn't, don't touch me. I don't want your hands on me. He was saying, Mary, I know you feel like I left you. And now that I'm back and I've revealed to you that I'm alive, you want to hold on to me. You want to grab a hold of me and never let me go. But Mary... You're not realizing something. If you let me go, I'm not going to leave you again. But I'm actually going to show you and, and be with you in a different dimension like you've never seen before. If you let go of my hand, I'm going to give you my heart. If you let go of me physically, I'm going to be in with you eternally. And you know that fear, Mary, about me leaving you, about this happening again, all that stuff where you're grabbing a hold of me? Don't worry, Mary. I'll be with you always. Even to the end of time, I'll be with you. But for me to go to that place, first, you've got to let go of me in the way you see me now. Can I challenge somebody today with this last thought? Some of you are clinging on to the way you've always seen Jesus. He's always been like this to you. He's always operated like this to you. He's always been in this vein. And you're clinging on to that. And God's trying to get some of you to say, if you would let go of some things, I'll show you dimensions of me that you will never imagine were possible. But if you want to hold me and cling on to me in this moment, you're going to miss the greatness of the moments to come. Can I challenge someone today? Know the fact that he's calling you by name. Know the fact that God's asking you today, where are you? Will you recognize where you are? Know the fact today that God's telling you today by name, 
here you are. I want to know you, your name, call you by name. But more importantly than that, can I challenge you today with this? Would you let go? Not so that you can lose Jesus, so that he can show you a dimension of him like, he's, like you've never seen before. You say, well, you're asking me to let go of God? No, I'm not asking you to let go of God. I'm asking you to let go of what you think you're looking for and what you think you need so that he can show you the reality of a brand new relationship, a brand new dimension. She held on to the dimension she thought she needed. Oh, he's back. He's alive. Don't leave me. And he was like, if you hold on to the dimension of where I used to be, you'll never experience the new dimension of where I want you to be. Sometimes we hold on. Sometimes we always think of holding on to the past as a negative thing. We got to let go of the past. We got to let go of the of the of our past. We've got to let go of the issues of our past. We've got to let go of our past. Let God have it. Yes, there's truth to that, but there's another point to that. Sometimes you got to let go of even some things that have got you to where you are so that God can take you to a whole other place. Father, you see every person today that's watching. You see those who have been brought to this broadcast for, for whatever reason. You know everything about us. You know our ups, our downs. But more importantly, God, you know our name. You know us. You know who we are. You know our good days, our bad days. You know our mountains and our valleys. You know us by all. You know it. I pray to God that you would change our perspective, change our position. And for some of us, God, that are trying to cling on to who we think you are, give us the grace today to let go of you where we think and what we know so that you can show us the new revelation of who you are to us the greater dimension of who you are, the greater power of who you are. Don't let us seek for the living among the dead. Don't let us look for you and miss you because we're looking for a dead Jesus when you're standing there before us with power and might and authority that we're so busy trying to find you in a dead version. Religion, a dead religion, a dead a dead understanding, a, uh, whatever it might be in our own life, God, that we miss the power of of who you are. I pray today that you would give us all the grace and the revelation to open our eyes today that we can see and know you in a better way, in a greater way, in a, in a, in a, in a deeper way like we've never known before. But God, you know exactly where we are. You know who we are, but give us the grace today, the revelation to know and to see where we are, that we can acknowledge, where are you? Here I am, Lord. I'm hiding in the bushes of my hurt. I'm hiding in the bushes of my pain. I'm hiding in the bushes of rejection. That you can give us the grace. Give us the understanding, the mercy to change us today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. By the power of your word, by the authority of your name, I speak it today. Every life, every person watching today, I speak today that you would open their eyes by the power of your word, through the power of your revelation, and that you would reveal to them through your spirit where they are so they can seek to know you and find you like never before in Jesus' name. God bless you today. 
so thankful that you were a part of this broadcast. I pray that you are blessed and challenged and grow closer to Jesus because of it. God bless you. Happy Father's Day to all of you. And I'm going to challenge you. Don't just dismiss this word, but let God speak this into your heart that he can take you to a deeper place in him like never before. God bless you.